I have made an executive decision. Would you like to know what my executive decision is? Yeah. So my executive decision is we are going to change the date of Mother's Day. It's in the wrong month. I don't know who decided that Mother's Day was going to take place in the month of May, but they weren't a mom. They couldn't have been a mom because moms are too busy in May for Mother's Day. How many of you have school-aged children in here? Yeah. Okay, so do the list with me in your head. Around Mother's Day, you have baseball playoffs and softball playoffs and basketball playoffs, and you have back-to-school night, and you have teacher appreciation week, and your three-year-old's preschool decided they want to do a whole sing-along, and you have to go sit through five songs this week. Oh, and don't forget, your teacher sent home a project. You have to make a 3D illustration of your child's bedroom inside of a shoebox this week. Oh, and don't forget about open house. That's this coming Thursday night. And so that whole night is blown up. And just all of the things. Oh, and don't forget about graduation. That's coming. And not only do you have to be at graduation, but you have to get those invitations out to the party that you planned for graduation. That's all coming up. And don't forget about your own mom and your mother-in-law on Mother's Day. And this all happens in May. So here's my executive order. I want Mother's Day to take place in January. The holidays have come and gone, your house is cleaned up, the kids are back in school. Take my idea and run with it. I realized last service it won't work in my house because my husband's birthday is in January, so I gotta come up with another month, but that's my executive order. We are in week three of our series on focus, and this week we're gonna be talking about shifting our focus from the pursuit of power and position to humility. Now, my executive order, the irony of that is not lost on me this morning. Last week and the week before, Scott got us started. He helped us to understand that Jesus teaches us all throughout the Gospels that what we focus on matters. It's important. In week one, he talked about the difference between focusing on positive and negative in our life and how that impacts us. Last week, he did a great job talking us through worry we all experience worry. It's a daily thing that we have to navigate. And so how do we shift our focus in a way that lights up our life? If you missed those week, I highly encourage you to go back and take a look. And so the verse that we've chosen to focus on this series is from Matthew chapter 6, where it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes or your focus, what you pay attention to is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. So what we focus on matters. And so here we are this week, we're gonna take a look at this pursuit of power and position and how humility is where we wanna shift our focus to. Now I have had a front row seat to this desire for power and position the last few months, I've been helping to coach my daughter's six and under softball team. And I'm telling you right now, there are some major plays for position and power. We have this spunky, fun, crazy little six-year-old girl on our team. And she has thought the whole season that it was her job to tell the coach every game what position she was gonna play. 
And then this same feisty, spunky little world changer would get up to bat. Now we're playing coach pitch softball. And if you don't know what that is, essentially the coach pitches four balls. And if you swing and you miss all four, what happens is you get to hit off of the tee. And I watched this player a few games ago get up to bat and she's right-handed so she bats the wrong way. And the coach pitches the ball, she swings and misses, looks at the coach and says, that wasn't a good one, that was your fault. (laughs) And then a couple of games later, she missed all four coach pitches, the coach sets up the tee, she lines up to hit the ball, looks at the tee, looks at the coach and says, it's not in the right spot, fix it. I don't even know if she added the word please to the end of the sentence. And so on the car ride home, every game, we've been working with this child on helping them to understand (laughs) that it's not their job to tell the coach where they play. And if they swing and they miss the ball, guess what? It's not the coach's fault. (laughs) And we don't talk to our coach that way. Now, in case you're wondering where she gets it from, let me tell you about Friday. Friday, my husband Ryan and I went to play pickleball. Now, we played for the first time about a year ago, and we loved it. If you don't know what pickleball is, any of you play? Okay, a few of you. It's this really fun combination of ping pong and tennis. And for those of us that are not in good enough physical shape to play tennis, it's a great compromise. So we tried it for the first time last year. We thought we were going to start playing every week, but life. And so a year passes, and we play on Friday. Now, I know this is gonna surprise and shock all of you, but I am actually quite an athletic individual years ago. And so I am playing, I'm on my husband's team, and I swing and I miss the shot, and Ryan looks at me and he says, babe, would you like a tip? (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) Now, what you need to know is I had already written this sermon. I knew I was going to be talking about feedback and humility today, and that was the last thing that I wanted from my husband on the pickleball court, the same guy who has beat me at pretty much everything we have played now for 15 years. It's not just us that struggles with this desire for power, this desire for position. This is part of our human nature. It it plays out in our marriages, in a division of responsibilities. If you didn't know when you got married that you could go to bed happy and wake up in the morning in a full blown out fight, you haven't had an infant and had to figure out whose turn it was to wake up in the middle of the night. It can all go wrong at 2 a.m. In your friendships, with your neighbors, at your workplace, we are all constantly making plays for power and position and it wasn't just us. We see in the Gospels that the disciples were also consistently making a play for power and position, and every time they did, Jesus shifted their focus off of power and position and onto humility. Every time he would put a little child in front of them with this invitation to become more like a child. And so that's what we're gonna look at today. In Matthew chapter 18, we're in verses one through five. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, this is not the first time the disciples have asked this question. They have asked this question multiple different times in multiple different ways, and it's recorded in multiple different gospels. Moms. 
You know exactly what this is like. Your kids will come and ask you the same question over and over and over again, different ways trying to wear you down, right? You know exactly what this is like. Jesus also knew what this was like. My oldest will now make a presentation when she wants us to give her something or agree to something, and she'll say to us, now mom and dad, you're not allowed to say anything until I finish, and I kid you not, she has already had made a list of all of her ways she was gonna overcome our objections ahead of time. No idea where that kid gets it from either. Now, what we see in the Gospels is that when the disciples didn't like the way that Jesus kept answering the question, Evan pointed out to us in our staff meeting this week that they then went to their mom and had their mom come and ask Jesus the same question. Now, do I have any teachers in the room? Yeah, you know what this is like. When that student doesn't like the decision you made, then what happens? Mom calls, mom emails, mom shows up at your classroom. And here we thought this was the first generation of helicopter parents. Nope, Jesus knew what this was like too. So here's what happens. Jesus calls a little child to him and he placed the child among them. Now, I don't think this was a six-year-old like what's happening in the Harrison household right now. I think this was a smaller child. In one of the Gospels, it says Jesus held a little child in his arms. I think we're probably working with like a two or three-year-old, innocent, humble little one. And he says to them, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, years ago, when I was reading through all of this for the very first time, it was kind of mind-boggling for me because when you read this at face value, it's like, seriously, if I want to get into heaven, I have to become like a little child, and that's kind of impossible, Jesus. I mean, I'm on a trajectory here, and I don't really know how to change the trajectory. But what we want to understand is Jesus is using simile and exaggeration here. He's asking us to use our imagination to picture what it would look like for us to change, to shift our focus from power and position and to become like a little child. What would that look like in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities? And then he's using some exaggeration. So the kingdom of heaven here is not eternity. The kingdom of heaven is God at work in us and around us and through us. It's where what God wants done is done. It's here, and then there's also a piece of it that's not quite yet. Now, what I find interesting is the disciples had already been experiencing the kingdom of heaven with Jesus in the day-to-day -day life and ministry of Jesus. And so it wasn't Jesus saying to them, unless you figure it out, you're out of here, buddy. It was Unless you change and become like little children, you're not going to see the full extent of what God is doing in and through and around you. And then he goes on and he says, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Jesus is saying to them, unless you change your focus, and the way that you see and define greatness, you're going to find it difficult to see the kingdom of God, to see God at work in you and around you and through you. 
Your focus matters. Let's shift our focus. You see, greatness in the kingdom of God, that was their question. How do I become the greatest? We ask this question, don't we? Anybody else in the room competitive? I want to know how to be the best. Even if I'm playing pickleball with my husband, I want to know. I don't want him to tell me how, but I want to know. If you want to become great in the kingdom of God, it is connected to humility, not power, not position. So what is this thing called humility? Because humility does not have a good rap here in our culture today. It really did not have one in the time and in the place and space that Jesus was ministering. If we think it's different now, it was really bad back then. So what is humility? Can we start with what it's not? Because I think we have a lot of misconceptions about humility. Humility, first and foremost, is not becoming a doormat and allowing people to walk all over us and do whatever they want, whenever they want, at our expense. That's not what Jesus is encouraging us to do here. That's not the kind of humility. That's just not even humility. I was going to say that's not the kind of humility we're talking about, but that's not humility. It's also not sacrificing everything about ourselves, downplaying all of our strengths, pretending like we're not good at anything. Humility is not that either. It's not sacrificing the way that we think and the way that we show up and the things that we believe and the things that we hold close to us. That's not what humility is either. So what is it? Well, humility asks us to assess ourselves accurately. It asks us to balance out the way that we see ourselves with all of our limitations. Are we able to see and own that we have limits, that there are things that we don't know, that there are things that we can't do, that there are things that we're too exhausted to take on, that there's only so many hours in a day for this human being to get things done before I need to say, okay, I'm done. I need a break. I need to rest. I have hit my limit. Am I accurately assessing my strengths? Can I own the fact that God has given me unique gifts that the people in my life need, that my family needs, that my church family needs, that my community needs, that my school needs, that my workplace needs? Do I have an accurate assessment of my strengths? Do I also have an accurate assessment of my weaknesses? Do I know what my blind spots are? Do I know the areas where I need some growth, where maybe I need to make some changes in my life? Humility is the ability to accurately assess ourselves. We see this in the Gospels where mom comes and asks the question on behalf of her sons again, you know, can, can they sit at your right hand, Jesus? Can they be the best? Can they be the greatest? Can they be your favorite? And Jesus responds to them and he says, can you drink this cup that I am about to drink? And what he's talking about there is the betrayal and the suffering and the death that he is about to face on the cross. So he says to the disciples, can you drink this cup? What Jesus knew and understood about them was that they did not have an accurate assessment of their limitations of their gifts and strengths and of their weaknesses, they were not ready or capable to follow in his footsteps in that way. They would be eventually, but they were not ready then. 
And so in his grace, Jesus was helping them to become aware that they were not accurately assessing themselves. Humility asks us to practice curiosity, to consider that there's more that we do not know, that we would benefit from knowing, to be curious about people and curious about information and curious about circumstances. There's a pattern that we see in the Gospels with the disciples, when they begin to make this play for power and position, it comes on the heels of Jesus telling them, reminding them, trying to help them see and understand that he would be betrayed, that he would suffer, and that he would die, and that he would be raised up three days later. The disciples would hear Jesus disclose this to them, and then a short couple of Moments later, they were saying, okay, but can I be the greatest on the team? Can you, put me, can you start me? Put me in, coach. I want to play there. I want to be at your right hand. And Jesus is going, I just told you about this burden that I'm carrying, this weight that I'm carrying. The disciples were not curious. And I wonder if you are like me and there have been moments you look back on when someone in your life, maybe someone close to you, maybe someone not so close to you has shared something And instead of practicing curiosity and asking more questions and giving them some space to share, you just moved on to the next thing. Or you told them a story about yourself that popped into your mind. We've all done this. We see the disciples do this. And so humility asks us to practice curiosity. Humility also asks us to maintain a posture of openness. What is it that happens to us The more life that we live, we become people who have experienced rejection. We know what it is to be hurt. We know what it is to have our expectations let down. We know and experience disappointment. And so the older we become and the more of life that we experience, we close ourselves off. We become guarded and we don't want to let new people in. We don't want to let new ideas in or new experiences in. We shut ourselves off from change. We begin to guard the little bit of position and power that we have. And this is what we are seeing playing out with the disciples in the Gospels. They are closed off. They're not open like a little child would be. They're guarding what they think should be theirs, protecting it. And what we see in the life and ministry of Jesus is that he stayed open his whole life allowed people into his life, invested in people that he knew would scatter when he needed them most, that would betray him, that would reject him, that would disappoint him, that would let him down. And yet he stayed open and he kept his heart soft. And so humility invites us to maintain this posture of openness. So how do we shift our focus from power and position to humility? This is not easy to do. It's like there's a a part of us that's wired in. Once we hit a certain age, whether we're six or we're 36 on the pickleball field, we want position and power. We're hungry for it. And Jesus says, will you shift your focus off of position and power and onto humility? What does it look like for you to become like a little child? What does that look like in your marriage? What does that look like in your parenting, in your schools, in your workplace, in your neighborhood? What does that look like for you? This is not something that you either get it or you don't get it. 
Humility is something that we can develop. It's something that we can cultivate in our life. And when the Spirit of God is at work in our life, and we are also making decisions to cultivate humility, then we see this beautiful spiritual growth take place. It's this partnership with God in humility. So, you know, humility is one of those things you cannot cover completely in one sermon. We'd have to do an entire sermon series on it, and then we still wouldn't cover all the pieces. So you need to know this has not been an exhaustive definition of humility, but a starting point. And so I want to give you just some practical things that you could do this week if this is something you sense God is inviting you to do, to shift some focus and attention off of power and position and onto humility. So the first thing we can do together is let's get feedback. Let's learn to assess ourselves accurately. And here's the hard part about this. None of us see ourselves clearly. We don't know what our blind spots are. We can have an idea and we can increase our own self-awareness, but at the end of the day, we need the people who love us and want the best for us and who are closest to us to give us feedback, to help us to see the things that we don't see, to see the weaknesses that we don't know are there. Now, a handful of years ago, I had a couple of mentors in my life who came to me and they said, Carissa, you have this natural gift as a communicator. You are a good communicator. I was like, thanks, so nice of you. And they said, you could be better. I was like, well, that doesn't feel very good. Because feedback does not feel good. We don't want to ask for feedback. When I get ready to ask for feedback, which is something that I try to do regularly in my life, there's this feeling in the pit of my stomach and I start to sweat. It's not fun. And then when you get ready to receive the feedback, it's even worse. And so they said to me, you could be better. I was like, okay. I mean, I wanted you to tell me that I'm great, but okay. And so they said, would you like for us to work with you? We see something in you. Would you like for us to give you feedback, to help you see the things that you don't see about yourself? I said, yes, sign me up, I think. And so we did this for a year together where they gave me you know, tools and tips that I had not had access to before. And they watched back every sermon, either live or on video that I gave that year. And after each one, we would connect and they would have a list. They didn't have one thing. They had a list of things for me to work on and to improve upon. And, you know, the first time it was kind of hard. By the end of the year, I was like, okay, give it to me. Bring it on. What did I do this time? What did I not fix this time? And as we got close to the end, one of them said, okay, I have one more thing that I have not wanted to tell you. I'm like, okay, what is it? Okay, Krista, are you sure you want to know? I don't know. Do I want to know? Yeah, I think I want to know. Okay, Krista, you know you are a good communicator. We believe in you. We think you are good. I'm like, okay. Now I'm really starting to sweat. Chris, I want to make sure you know that we'd never want to hurt your feelings, that we would never want to tell you something that would hurt your feelings. And now I'm like, oh my goodness, what have they not been telling me for the whole year? And I said, well, at this point, I'm afraid to not know what you're about to tell me. And so this person said, okay, Carissa, when you get really excited about a point and you're preaching and you're letting it go, you get this facial expression. 
And I don't know how to describe it to you except to call it your scrunchy, whiny face. Friends, that was some of the toughest feedback I have gotten and some of the most valuable feedback that I have gotten because then I went back and I watched and I do have this thing called scrunchy, whiny face. And it's not pleasant for those of you who are on the receiving end of the communication. And here's the thing, it's not completely gone. So my disclaimer to you is, this is not your invitation to tell me when you see me with a scrunchy, whiny face. Please don't email me. Please don't grab me on the patio. What you are invited to do is maybe nudge your neighbor and giggle a little bit on the inside because it still does make an appearance. It's something that I have to just kind of be aware of and know about. (sighs) Feedback is not fun. It's not easy, but we need it. Whether it's our communication or in our marriage or in our parenting or in the workplace with our coworkers and our bosses, with our closest friends, Hey, is there anything that you're seeing in me that I don't know about myself? And inviting that in requires humility and vulnerability. Being the person giving the feedback also requires some incredible vulnerability and trust. So that's one way we can shift our focus this week. Another way we can shift our focus is to ask more questions. To spend time intentionally asking the people around you more questions. To be curious about who they are and how they experience the world and what they think about things. Early on in our marriage, one of the things that we fought about over and over and over again was fighting. We fought about fighting. I don't know if any of you know what that's like, but it's not fun. And so Ryan would say to me in an argument, you're not listening to me, Carissa. You're thinking about what you're going to say next. And I was like, no, I'm not. How do you know what's in my head? I was not asking questions. I was not listening well. And so we lean into humility when we ask curious questions. Now, do you want to know one of my best non-question questions? This is like the ace up my sleeve, and I use it pretty much, I don't know, not every day of the week, but a lot. Do you wanna know what the question is? The non-question question? question? (gasps) None of you are like, I don't know, I don't wanna know the question. What is the question? This is like, Carissa, do you want me to give you feedback? No, I don't want you to give me feedback. Tell me more, tell me more. I snatched this out of a book a few years ago, and it is brilliant. You know, your kid comes home from school and you can tell that it just has not been a great day and they make an offhanded remark about a kid at school who did something and you say, oh, tell me more. Or your spouse comes home from work and you can tell that they're not in a good headspace and they make an offhanded remark about an interaction between them and their boss and you say, tell me more. Or you run into a friend and you're having a moment in the parking lot and they tell you that they are absolutely exhausted. Tell me more. What's going on? Tell me more. It opens up the door for curiosity and for people to be able to share. And then they feel seen and they feel heard and they feel valued. Now, here's my other disclaimer with this one, just kind of like scrunchy, whiny face. When I use this non-question question on you, you have to play along. One of my best friends in the world figured it out and stopped responding to tell me more, and I finally was like, okay, friend, this is 
part of a superpower that I have picked up. So can we just have an agreement that when I say to you, tell me more, it's because I genuinely want to know more. I genuinely care. And it helps us practice curiosity to shift off of position and power and onto humility. And then the third thing is, let's open ourselves up to change, to new people, to new ideas, to new information, to new circumstances. How many of you want to grow? You want to be the best version of yourself, the best spouse you can be, the best teacher you can be, the best coworker, the best parent, all of the things. I think we all do. It's part of our human nature. We want to grow. Well, friends, the bad news is that growth requires change. We don't get growth without change. And so let's open ourselves up to new people and new ideas and new possibilities and new things. Maybe we don't know everything. Maybe there's more to the situation, more to the story, more to the person. Maybe it's the possibility of a friendship and you've been hurt and you've been wounded and and God's invitation to you today would be to open yourself up to the possibility of a, a new friendship, a new relationship, a new mentor, a new person in your life. Yeah, there's risk that comes along with that. They might move, they might hurt your feelings, they might let you down, they might disappoint you. But friends, what if we were to follow the way that Jesus modeled this in his life and ministry, and we were to keep ourselves open instead of closing ourselves off. I have two groups of people that I see this in well, that model humility beautifully. And the first group of people is our friends in their 70s and in their 80s. Do you know the people that I'm talking about who get to that season and stage of their life and they are hungry for growth. They continue to be curious and to learn new things. And then they want to hear from you and they want to know what you're thinking. And so they're asking you questions and there's this childlike awe that they carry with them towards the world. They have this joy and this sense of peace. And oftentimes I will find myself in conversation with them thinking or saying out loud, I want to be like you when I grow up. I want to be like you when I grow up. I want to have that childlike spirit about me when I grow up. And you know what? Part of it is, is they stay curious. They stay open to the possibilities, to the possibility of change and to the possibility of growth. And I think most of them would probably tell us that they have had some feedback along the way, that they have worked on their stuff and invited God to bring that stuff out into the light. The other group would be our friends, who serve or work in children's ministry, they have a head start in this world because they get a front row seat every day to this childlike spirit that Jesus is calling our attention to. And Carrie, one of our women who works over in Rancho Kids, she just exudes this about her. If you know Carrie, she just, she's living it and she's not in her 70s or 80s and I'm not gonna tell you how old she is because that's not my job but she carries this with her in a beautiful way. So I asked her, hey, Carrie, what is something that you have learned from one of our kids just recently? And I wanna read to you what she sent to me. She said, when one of our six-year-old Rancho kiddos was asked recently how he would describe God, he answered with one word, friend. 
Talk about a mic drop answer, she says. That's an entire game-changing sermon in one word. She says, this is one of the many reasons I love working in children's ministry. Just when I'm tempted to overcomplicate my faith, kiddos come along and remind me that God has made the most important things really quite simple. Over the years, I have found my faith walk to be healthier and healthier when I practice peeling back the complexities of God to see him through the beautifully simple lens of a child. God equals friend. There are many days when that's all I need to know. Another attribute that I think Jesus was calling our attention to in this story is the simplicity. We just complicate things the older that we get. And when we become childlike, when we lean into that humility, we simplify things. My husband Ryan also volunteers over in kids ministry. And the last few weeks he has come home after leading small groups with fourth and fifth graders and just shared the most incredible conversations that he gets to have with these kids. Conversations that are not just impacting the children, but conversations that are impacting Ryan. And after him sharing one of these with me last week, I looked at him and I said, I know you know this, but I wanna say it to you again. What you are doing at that 1045 service each week is just as important, if not more important, than what I do when I preach a sermon. And he said, I know. And he does, because he's been serving in kids or youth ministry as a volunteer since before we met. He gets a front row seat to this, a head start to becoming more childlike. And so what do we do with this? Well, if you're here and you call Rancho home, This is your community and your people, and you want to be a part of the ministry that we are doing here. We want you to come and be a part of ministry with us. We want you to experience what that feels like. And I don't know, but maybe kids' ministry is where God is inviting you to serve. And if that's the case, that team is going to be out on the patio. Stop by, ask some questions, get to know some people. You are not signing up to serve on the spot. And it can just start with maybe once a month. Now, we're not gonna put you down there next week, maybe, maybe not, because we do have safety as our highest priority. And so all of our volunteers go through a fingerprint and background check. But maybe that's your space where you say, I wanna learn from those kids. I wanna invest in those kids. I wanna experience some of that childlike awe that Carrie and Ryan get to experience each week. We have a space for you. Come and join us. And maybe that's not for you. Maybe for some of us, it's that we're going to take some time this week and we're going to get feedback. We're going to ask our spouse or our brother or sister or a friend or a boss for specific feedback. And we're going to ask God for the humility to receive it well, to hear the hard things well, and to not become defensive because that's tough to do. Maybe for some of us, we're just going to focus on asking questions. Tell me more. What was that like for you? How do you experience that? Maybe you just look for a couple of questions and you just keep them in your back pocket. And you 
Practice curiosity. And maybe for some of us, it's that God is inviting us to this posture of openness. Maybe there is some information or a relationship or a possibility or a change that the people in your life have been encouraging you and inviting you and making lists for you. And maybe it's time for you to go, maybe there's more. What could I be missing? Is there some information here that I need to pay attention to? Is there the possibility of a friendship here? And it may be time to invest. It's going to be risky, but maybe it's time to invest. My prayer has been that the Spirit of God would speak to each of your hearts. What does it look like for you to shift your focus off of power and position and onto humility? Let's pray together. God, thank you that you give us beautiful examples in the Gospels of humanity because we live like humans every moment of every day. And this desire, this focus on power and position is something that we are all very familiar with. And God, I'm so grateful that in the midst of that, you love us, you call us your sons and your daughters, you accept us, and you invite us to become like little children. To become humble. Help us with this, God, because this does not come naturally to us. And we need reminders because even once we try it and we do well, the next day something else happens and we forget. Would you help cultivate this humility in us, God? Help us to stay open. Help us to be curious. We need your help with this, God. In Jesus' name we pray. 